While he's doing that, I was just thinking this morning when I saw them rehearsing that, um, that beautiful worship dance, I was thinking about a story that I, a story that I had, uh, had read an illustration before, and I thought it was a great example of what we just saw here. And, and that was there was this mom playing with her little boy on the playground, and they had been out there all day, a hot day, and in the background they hear the ice cream truck like so often happens to us moms on the playground. That wonderful music plays in your children. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. And so, yeah, we can have ice cream. So she takes her little boy and gets him ice cream and is unwrapping it and getting ready to hand it to him and recognizes there's this brown stuff all in his mouth. And just mouth is full of dirt. He'd just been shoveling dirt in his mouth on the playground. So she immediately picks him up and takes a bottle of water and starts to douse his mouth with water, rinsing out everything that is in his mouth. And the you know, little boy's screaming, I just want ice cream, I just want ice cream. And the mom is trying to say, hey, listen, I got ice cream for you. It's good. It's going to taste really good. But you got dirt in your mouth, right? You got dirt in your mouth. It's not going to taste good. If I give you this ice cream the way you are, the ice cream's going to taste like dirt. And that's what God does with us. That is the process of discipleship, is him refusing to leave us where we are. He says, I have so much in front of you. I have good life. I have good things. I have a hope. I have a future in front of you. But you got to let me clean you up a little bit first. You got to let me get the dirt out of your mouth a little bit. And I love that as we talk through today and the things that God's put on my heart and what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, Brandon, JP, um, Pastor Alex, last week, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about family. We're talking about community. And what's beautiful is that God desires for us to have help in that process. He never meant for us to walk that process of getting cleaned up and discipled and becoming more like him alone. He gives us tools, and one of those tools that he gives us is community. One of those tools he gives us is the church family. Another tool that I have just been reminded of its value this week is the word of God. Amen? And I think in this day and age with technology and information overload at our fingertips, it is incredibly easy for this right here, this book, to lose its value. And, to lose, and if we're not careful, it's meaning in our lives. And I was sitting up here on the front row, I think it was back in January, and Pastor Alex was preaching, and I'm just sitting there like I usually am. You know, I think I had my phone um, my phone with me. And sometimes I'm running into service quickly and, and forget. But I was looking up a scripture he was talking about, and God just said to me, plain as day, do you value what I say? Do you value what I say? Uh, yeah. I mean, here I am, God. You know, I'm doing the ministry. I'm doing things you've asked me to do. Like, of course I value what you say. And he said, then why don't you write it down? And I just remember when I was a hungry for God college student, I could not get enough of his word. I could not get enough of what the speaker was saying. I would be in every conference and I would be in every ministry setting writing word for word, every ounce of wisdom that I could gain from them, every ounce of word of life that was coming out of their mouth that they were getting from the word of God. And somehow in our process of maturity and growing up, I think we tend to walk away from the value of what this is. Or as Christians, we get accustomed to hearing it so much that we forget its meaning. We forget its place in our lives. And, and that's my fear. I don't want us to move in such a place with technology where we forget to write what God's saying to us down. 
Even if, it's, even if it's on a phone, it is scientifically proven that you are more likely to remember something if you write it down. So whether that's taking your phone and typing it, whether it's going on a computer, whether it's taking scrap paper, or whether it's sitting here every Sunday morning ready to hear what the Lord has for you to say, we have to get to a place where he wants to take us, where we value his word, spoken and written. Amen? Amen. I was also thinking it is so incredibly easy for us to, to want to be a, um, a group of people that instead of studying the word for ourselves, we want to, in our quickness and busyness, just to jump on Facebook and see what somebody else posted. This is the word that God spoke to them, which I, I, I understand, like, that's a tool. That's a way that we can reach people. That's a way we can encourage people, and I don't want to jump on that. But what I do want to say is in this process that we've been talking about, about maturing ourselves to a point where we are no longer needing milk, but we are on a meat and potatoes of the word of God, we have to do it for ourselves. I cannot live off of what somebody else is telling me. I cannot function like that. There is a race in front of me to run, and it's going to take protein. It's going to take the meat of the word. I remember the first, I believe it was a half marathon. It might have been 10K. But the first one of the first races, long races I ever ran, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, like the less I eat, the lighter I'll be, right? Like that makes sense in my mind. I don't really want to go out and, you know, I'd read all the blogs that say don't go eat this big meal right before you run. So I had, I want to say it was just broccoli and maybe a little bit of chicken. It wasn't very much. It was mostly broccoli. Big mistake. Big mistake. Like not too far into the race, I am like out of energy. No protein, no carbohydrates, nothing. Broccoli's good for you, right? It's good for you. Those, those, those quick little scriptures we, we grab in the morning, it's good for us. It's broccoli. It's healthy. But it will not sustain us to where God's taking us. It will not sustain you in the race that God's called you to run. Amen? So we are going to dig a little bit this morning, hopefully find some meat and potatoes. So let's start in Ruth. I don't know if any of you had ever taken time to, to really study. Ruth can be found right after Judges. It is, in my opinion, kind of a gem that often gets shoved in between some books that are quite confusing and complicated. But I like stories, and I like allegories. It helps me to understand things well. And Ruth is one of those books. We are going to be reading in chapter 1, verse 6. But before that, let me just set you up a little bit. Because um, we're going to kind of jump in the middle of the story. So you have Naomi and her husband, who I can never pronounce his name right, so I'm not going to try. But you have Naomi and her husband and two sons, and they lived in Judah. And they were going through a horrible famine in the land. And so her husband says, hey, we're going to go on a journey, and we're going to move to this other place called Moab where there's no famine. I hear their crops are prosperous. I hear there's great things happen over there. The problem is, is that was the land that they were at war with. It was a very risky move on their part. But they decided to do it. So they, they move. They go with her and her two sons. Her husband dies. Her sons marry Moabites who you know, when you're, when you're marrying somebody that comes from a country that you're at war with, not really the greatest move, right? So her sons marry Moabites, then they die. So here's Naomi left in this situation where she has two daughter-in-laws. They don't look like her. They don't talk like her. They don't sound like her. But that's all she's got, right? In this strange land. And so that's where we kind of pick up. If you can imagine a dinner conversation, you know, some women going through a hard time sitting around the table with a cup of coffee talking about what they're going to do. 
And that's where it picks up in verse 6. And I'm going to just read a little bit with you, so bear with me. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So she was in Moab. She hears the place that they came from, Judah, has good crops again. Okay, so what are we going to do? So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. Let's go back where there's good food again. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Because back then, I mean, you lose your husbands. It wasn't like it is today where a woman could just go out and get a job. You know, I mean, that's a dangerous place to be without having any covering. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want, you to go, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because I, the Lord himself, has raised his fist against me. She was in a pretty rough spot, right? The Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Have you ever been there before? I think the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, she said to her sister-in-law, has got, her sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. And we're going to stop right there. So you have, we're just going to talk about this just a little bit. So you have two different women, two different ages, who I will I'm going to kind of talk through some generational stuff. So I'm going to refer to, if you're 50 and older, the older generation, which I'm almost there. I'm going to be there soon, so (laughs) please don't get offended. And then 50 and younger, I'm going to refer to as the younger generation. So you have two people in two different generations. Both are in a terribly hard spot. Both are, so they have that in common. They are in a hard spot. They need each other. If we look at Ruth, we recognize that going back with Naomi was a huge risk for her. She came from the country that they were at war with, and she was choosing to live in a land that did not like her people. She didn't look like them. She didn't talk like them. She didn't sound like them. She didn't know their customs. She didn't know their ways. There was a lot of risk in her choosing to be vulnerable in this relationship with Naomi. Then you have Naomi, who was older in years. She had wisdom. She knew the Lord. There was a willingness there to teach and mentor But she also had been through a lot. But she was taking on a risk because she was technically bringing in the enemy, right? She was bringing in somebody that nobody in her hometown liked. So here she hasn't been home for a long time, and she's coming home with the enemy. That she's taken under her wing, and she is choosing to mentor, choosing to be a part of her family. So you have all of these different dynamics going there. And what I really want us to see is that in this cross-cultural relationship that God uses faithfulness to each other to bring about 
his plan in their life. There had to be a willingness. There had to be a choice. There had to be a willingness to listen, a willingness to gain wisdom from the younger generation. And then the older generation, there had to be a willingness to impart. There had to be a willingness to nurture. There had to be a willingness to speak life and to train and to teach something that did not look like her, that did not look like her God, that did not look like her ways. But there was a willingness on both parts. And I think to go to the place where God's calling us to go as a church, there has to be that. We are, we are to a place in our society where we do not value the other generation. The younger generation thinks, ah, there's nothing, there's nothing they got that I need. I've got technology. I've got creativity. I'm a millennial generation. I got it all figured out. And then the older generation is left feeling like, well, they don't need me. They don't need me. What do I have that they don't have? Look at all that they have at their fingertips. They can get wisdom from this. They can get wisdom from that. They don't need me. There is something that comes from connection. And I am very, very cautious and alert that if we are not careful, we are going to create a Christian orphan crisis in our churches because we are not willing to embrace the other generation. So I will say to the older generation today, please don't stop doing what God's called you to do. Please keep on. Please keep on because we need you. I am so grateful for the Julie Johns. I am so grateful for the Margie Drys. I am so grateful for the Penn and Katzie Browns who are continuing to teach Bible colleges, who are continuing to pour and say, Julie said to me the other day in the office, you know, she said, this, this unbound ministry is my heart. It's my last chance to make a difference. Julie, what are you, in your 70s? She could easily say, I'm retired. I'm done. I don't have anything left. But she's saying, this is my last chance to make a difference. And that is what we need from the older generation. We need you to rise up and call things out of us, to call things out of us that we don't see. We need you to be Naomi's in our lives and say, let me show you the ways of God. Let me teach you. Let me mentor you. Let me disciple you. Let me be a spiritual mother and father in your life. We need that. And that's something we don't see a lot of anymore because people are afraid of different they're afraid of missing it. They're afraid of not being relatable. But I'm telling you, all you need is the word of God and his will and his anointing on your life. And that is all the anointing you need. That is all the tools you need. He's given it to you. And I'm going to say this to the younger generation. You have a responsibility as well. Just like Ruth, you have a place where you can choose to be vulnerable and you can choose to heed the voice of wisdom. You can desire wisdom or you can stiff arm and say, I don't need what you got. But I'm telling you, that road is hard. I'm telling you, that road is different. There is a reason that God put us in families. You know, think about it. If, if our children were born knowing everything and creating everything, there would be no need for us. But God puts us in families, and much like he puts us in church families, to grow and to nurture and to breathe life into and to feed milk to. Because we're on meat and potatoes. And if you're not there, you better get there. Because God has people he wants you to nurture. God has people he wants you to influence. Amen? So we love that part of what we see in Ruth. I, I was going to say this too, you know, something that I think sometimes we tend to box in what that, what that relationship of spiritual mother and father can look like. And I was telling Miss Liz this morning that, you know, when we first got here a couple years ago, I mean, all of you have heard my testimony there, it was a rough spot for me. You know, I had gone to Bible college. I had been through that zealous passion, da-da-da, but somehow in all of life I had gotten to where I was living off of just little bits of broccoli, running my race on little bits of broccoli, you know, not really valuing what the Word of God said and was in my life. And 
we were getting ready to do a ladies retreat. And, um, I, you know, I had come to her and I said, what are we going to do? You know, what book are we going to use? What curriculum are we going to use? I'm thinking like, there's Beth Moore and there's all these cool studies out here. And she was, she was like, oh, we're going to, I think we're just going to do a study on the book of Habakkuk. I'm pretty sure it's the one was. Habakkuk. I'm like, okay, where's Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, and I'm like thinking, why in the world? Like there's so many good Bible studies out there. Like why would we do Habakkuk? And I began <laughs> to see the more time I spent with her, how much she loved and valued the word so much, she would spend months in one book until she got every single nugget that that book had. And we did an entire ladies retreat based off of a book that most of us probably haven't even read. But it was so rich and there was so much life there. And I gleaned from that. I saw that and I said, Lord, I want that. Her and I never sat down and had a conversation where I said, hey, Liz, can you be my spiritual mom? Hey, Liz, can you mentor her? You know, in fact, I'm pretty sure she probably was like, she's, she's confident, she's strong, she doesn't need me because I, I will come across as that. I've got this, I don't need this, da, 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 da. That spiritual pride thing sneaks in. You know, but I recognized something, a hunger in her that I didn't have. And I began to say, Lord, change my heart. No longer am I going to use the excuse. I can't understand your word. It's, it's too complicated. You know, I just need the little broccoli nuggets because the deep stuff, that's just too complicated. It's not an excuse, y'all. His, he, Holy Spirit, has the ability to breathe life. And I am telling you, if you will open it and ask him, it will come alive to you. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about the need for one another. I want to take one look at a, another passage of scripture that we're all crazy familiar with. Um, and that is the story of Lazarus, oddly enough. So if you would go with me to John 11. We are all incredibly familiar with the story of Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends, he and his sister, Mary and Martha. We are going to pick up chapter 11, verse 38, but thir first, let's just catch up a little bit. Everybody knows the story of Lazarus. Jesus was off teaching in a different place. Someone came to him and said, hey, your friend Lazarus is really sick and he's dying. Will you come? Jesus didn't come, made the decision, no, my father says I need to stay here, listening to what the father says, so he stays where he's at. Meanwhile, Lazarus is back with his family and he dies. So then somebody comes back and gets and says, you're too late. You're too late. Lazarus died. Lazarus died. And so that's where we pick up in verse 38. And I absolutely love one thing that I have learned. I was telling Brandon this last night. We were sitting outside. Since there's no mosquitoes, it's finally nice enough to sit outside. So we're out there last night, and we were talking about what God was teaching us. And I was saying, like, you guys, I'm serious when I say, like, God has given me such a fresh love for his word. Like, I am amazed that I could have spent two and a half years in Bible college and still get to the place where I can pull things out. And every time I open it, there's something new. And I feel like that's what he wants to do with us, guys. He wants to give us a fresh love for his word this morning. Let's, let's believe. Let's ask him for that. So uh, verse 38. So one of the things that Brian and I were talking about, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We were talking about how you can see Jesus' humanity in the New Testament, especially in the book of John. And I love that because so many times we get this picture that, you know, Jesus is God, and he is. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And so as those are the types of things that you ask the Lord, Lord, show me Jesus here. Reveal who he was in here. Reveal his character. Reveal his nature. Let me learn and glean from who he was because he walked the same things. He dealt with a lot of the same things we deal with. Different times, but a lot of the same things. So Side note there, but John 11 verse 38 says, Jesus was still angry. There we hear it. Jesus was angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. 
was there. And he said, roll the stone aside. Everybody say, roll the stone aside. He told them, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I love, and how oftentimes do we do this in our own lives, that, you know, you have Jesus trying to perform a miracle here, and, you know, you have Martha, who is stating the obvious. I'm trying to perform a miracle, and he's been dead for four days, Jesus. You know, we do that a lot in our own lives. Jesus is trying to work something, and we're stating the obvious. Uh, Have you seen my circumstances? Have you seen what's going on here? So she's stating the obvious. She's reminding him, hey, do you know he's been done for four days? Not only that, but he's going to stink a little bit. Four days. We recently, had a, <laughs> we recently had a mouse that died in our house in the walls. Have you guys ever had that? Have you ever had something die in your walls? It was awful. I was amazed that something that small could produce such a stench. But it was so bad. Like my kids would not even go in a portion of the kitchen because it was so bad. And so I can only imagine a human being being dead for four days, the smell that that would have had. So, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. Can you imagine hearing somebody pray that? I'd be like Pastor Alex standing up here saying, I'm praying this and I'm saying it out loud so they really, really know this is what I mean. They believe me. I just think it's comical. It's funny. Think about it that way. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go everybody say unwrap him and let him go another version says take off the grave clothes so jesus says take off the grave so all right let's picture this you're standing around this tomb jesus says lazarus come forth he's probably surrounded by his community his family i'm sure disciples were there this man comes out i mean i imagine i mean mummified right so like some mummies you've seen are like this and some are tied down like this. So that's kind of what I imagine this guy coming out of a tomb is, you know, really stiff and can't really walk. It's coming out like, right? And Jesus immediately looks to the people around him and says, hey, you, unwrap him and let him go. Take off his grave clothes. Seriously? Seriously. Can you imagine if you're standing there and Jesus looks at you and says, hey, you, Mel, take off his grave clothes. He's been dead for four days. He's probably really going to stink, but take off his grave clothes. I would be like, "Uh, Lord, seriously, like you just performed a miracle. You just raised him from the dead. Could you not have commanded that his grave clothes fall off, right? I mean, that's what I would be thinking. Like you just worked a miracle. Why can't you do it? But no, what did he say? He looked to the community of people around him. He looked to the family and he said, help him. Take his grave clothes off of him. You do it. You be family. You get in the dirty. You get in the stink. You take his grave clothes off. I also think it's interesting he didn't tell him. Take his grave clothes off. How would he have done that? His hands were bound. We're like, you know, that's not possible. Why? Because we need each other. There is a learning and a maturing process that happens in our lives that when we step into the stink and mess, of somebody else's life, 
the smelly grave clothes, and we start to unwrap that. There is a maturing process that happens in our own lives. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God, that is why God said that. It's because he wanted, he wanted to recognize he wanted everybody to recognize that it takes a community of people. He did not call us to walk in freedom alone. Jesus delivers the person. He sets people free. But it is up to us as a community to help take their grave clothes off of them. It is up to us as a community to help set them free, to help walk them through that process of what that looks like. It is not up to them by themselves. Is there, is there part? Yes, absolutely. There's, a, there's stuff to do on their end. But I believe where God is calling this church is not to just be a place where people come in and have a feel-good, goosebump experience in worship. They can experience the Lord all they want, and he can set them free. But there's a process of living free and those grave clothes coming off that has to happen, and it only happens in community. It only happens when the people around respond to God saying, hey, you, take the grave clothes off of him. Hey, you, unwrap him and let him go. And that's, that's my question. That's my heartbeat today is as, are we as a church prepared that when we expand this sanctuary and we add another school and we do all these amazing things and people start to flood and God starts to bring in people and they're recognizing the presence of God is here. They're recognizing that Jesus wants to set them free. He moves and he sets them free. Are we as a community of believers, are we as a family willing to jump in the muck? to jump in the stink, to get right in the center and start to unwrap those grave clothes. I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's not pretty. It doesn't smell good. But I don't know if any of you guys have ever walked through a place in your life where you've needed help taking the grave clothes off. I know in my own life, when I was in middle school, towards the end of middle school, I think it was the beginning of ninth grade year, I started dealing heavily, heavily with an eating disorder. And just a very, very yucky, dark, dark, dark place. And I cannot imagine walking through that season and being set free without the help of a spiritual mama in my life. Somebody that had been there and said, I know it's not going to be pretty. Because what happens is we don't snap our fingers. It's a process. You know, sometimes God moves and sets somebody free from cigarettes. Sometimes God moves and in a moment they're set free from bondage. But a lot of times it, is not, it doesn't look like that. It's discipleship. And that's what it was in my life. And I cannot imagine where I would be if I didn't have that person in my life that I could send a text to at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you pray with me? She did. She got in the stink. Hey, I'm struggling with this right now. Can you pray with me? Hey, I feel like this right now. I'm not understanding what this says right now. Can you pray with me? And she did. And she was willing. And I'm telling you, I want to be that way. I want to be that person that God can count on in community to say, take off the grave clothes. And I don't worry about the stink. I don't worry whether they don't look like me. I don't worry whether they don't sound like me. I don't worry whether they don't speak my Christian language. But all I'm concerned about is the heart of that person and that heart that wants to be discipled, that heart that's crying out for community. And that's where God is taking us as a church. And my, my ask is, is that you would just start that conversation with the Lord. What's God saying? Is he asking you to move past that place of milk? And to move into a place where you're growing and you're valuing the word of God so much that you can teach it. So much that you can link arms with somebody. You can link arms with a roof. And begin to impart truth into their lives. 
Is he asking you this morning, that conversation with the Lord look like? Is he asking you to be willing to get in the stink with somebody? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody you know right now. Maybe you are recognizing you're not there and you're not quite ready. So where do you start? Thrive groups? Your time alone with the Lord? Karis Bible College? There are so many tools in front of us, y'all. We do not have excuses anymore. And you know what I don't want to see happen? God's going to have his way in this church. He's going to have his way, and I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on my opportunity to sow seeds into the next generation. I don't want to miss out on my opportunity to take the grave clothes off of somebody. But God's big enough. If I, if I don't respond and I'm not willing, he will find somebody else. He will find somebody else, and I don't want to be that. And I don't think there's anyone here that wants to be that. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we just come before you right now. Father, I just thank you that you are continuing to stir in our hearts a hunger and a value for the word of God. Your life-breathing word, your spoken word, God, that we would value it and take it for its word. Lord, that you would grow us up in our faith so that we can be at the place when you bring people in that stink, when you bring people in that are bound, that we would be willing to step in and help take those grave clothes off of them. Lord, you've given us the tools. You've sent your Holy Spirit to equip us and to lead and guide us. And I just thank you that we will do our job and respond. God, our hearts are open this morning. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.